0: Welcome to Religiously Literate. I'm Jay and I'm Ryan. Join us as we explore the
1: diversity of religious belief around the world. How do we define religion? Why should you be religiously literate? Stay tuned as we answer these questions and learn a little bit along the way.
0: you so much for joining us today here on Religiously Literate. Uh, this is our first episode, so I think it's probably a good idea for us to introduce ourselves and uh, tell you why it is we're doing what we're doing. Uh, so my name is Ryan Geckner. Um, I work for an organization in Kansas City. Um, it's called the American Indian Health Research and Education Alliance. We do health disparities and educational disparities research, um, but that's like totally tangential to this project. Um, so I've always kind of been interested in religion. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in anthropology and American studies from the University of Kansas, Rock Chalk. Um, and I kind of always focused on religion during my research and during my time at KU, um, mostly on American Indian and African American religions. And then I got my master's in religious studies, also from KU, Um, and I focused on Lakota religion and its um, connections to the No Dakota Access Pipeline protest movement, Um, and we'll talk about that later in another episode.
1: Yeah, Um, so I'm Jay. I got my undergrad at the University of Rochester in both anthropology and religion, and for me, I've always been interested in learning about how people are like who they are, how to connect with people, building relationships is really important to me. And really early on in my life, I kind of discovered that a great entry point into making those connections was religion. And then anthropology is study of people, so putting those two together is kind of what made sense to me. I then got my master's at uh, KU, Rock chalk and that's where I focused on sports through a religious lens, specifically looking at Muay Thai, also known as Thai boxing, as well as doing research on basketball and its origins, which we will definitely talk about because it is awesome. And I just love any excuse to talk about James Naismith and basketball. So we'll do that at some point. Um, And then my future is really thinking about uh, inclusion and finding some way to put food into that. So that's (laughs) a little bit about me, but I do think it's important to share with the listeners how we know each other. I think it's kind of obvious in the sense that we both uh, got master's degrees At KU in religious studies, but I don't know what I mean. It's it's we do drastically different things, and yet somehow we have found an alignment. So I don't know. What do you think? How how do we know each other, Ryan?
0: Um, I mean, I think that a lot of it comes back to being in grad school, and this is going to probably be for everyone listening, for all like three of you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna this is gonna be our most academic episode we're gonna try and make this podcast a lot more accessible um than this episode so like make it through this episode or just skip it i mean whatever yeah that's true <laughs> uh if you don't want to hear the academic stuff later you know just listen to this part and then skip it but um i think it all goes back to struggling through a graduate program. Um, being in a graduate program is a lot of work. I didn't. I totally forgot to mention. I'm starting a PhD program at Ohio State um, in the fall. So
1: clearly, it wasn't that bad because you're going back. Yeah, it's, so, so, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Or I mean, you know, I couldn't get a job with my degree, but you know, <laughs> fair, fair, real life. So both of us are employed, so whatever. <laughs> 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 so, anyway, um, and even beyond struggling through grad school. Um, in our program, the one of the first classes you take as a first year is this um, theory and method seminar called Approaches to the Academic Study of Religion. And one thing you do in there is you read a lot of really dense theorists who are all old and white who talked about what religion is how we study religion how we can know anything or how we don't know anything about religion for all you postmodernists, um
1: yeah because <laughs> we don't know anything and i would religion. note that like in any religion program even as an undergrad i, I had to do this similar work so i think this yeah. is just embedded in the discipline so everyone kind of has to separate sure. is it unique to our program for sure and so
0: i think that is You know, it was a very strong bonding experience suffering through that. And me and Jay were also really, um, really like concerned with trying to be friends in the program and like not be super competitive like some graduate programs are. That's true. Um, That's true. We both kind of I feel like we both came into the both came into the program with kind of that same goal and it just kind of like worked.
1: I I would also say, I think what brought us together and how we really got to know each other is partially like my minimalist. I mean, I have a a bachelor's degree in anthropology, but I would not call myself an anthropologist. Um, You're definitely much more of an anthropologist than I am. And I think that there was a lot of frustration and looking at things that like old dead white men wrote that wasn't applied. Uh And so looking for ways to apply what we were learning to what was happening in the real world. I think we're both very much into applied theory and actually being able to um touch and see and feel and interact with the communities that we're working with. And so and you just don't really get that in a lot of dusty stuff. So yeah. I think you know <laughs> yeah. trying to search for that and find that I think is something that brought us together. Um and is something I think you'll see throughout the work that we did both in that program and you know the things that we're doing post our program. So yeah, we're both very social justice minded. Yeah, that's true. For sure. Um, okay, so that's how we know each other. And then why do we want to start this podcast? Which, I mean, I put you on the spot, so I'll go first. Um, okay. <laughs> I think for me, my motivation, which I, I feel like you share in some ways, is you um, you know, you know, speaking to people who feel like they have a firm understanding of quote-unquote religion or different religions and realizing that they don't have anything. So I am or have a unique experience, at least when I tell people it seems to be unique, in the sense that I am a black American. Most of my friends are of various Asian descent from West Asia all the way through uh, South, Southeast Asia. So um, they are first-generation people in this country surrounded by Christianity. And in conversation with them, they really think they understand Christianity because they're bombarded with it in American culture. But then when you start talking about basic beliefs in Christianity, they actually don't know anything. And I think that that's very common, not just for immigrants or first generation people, but people in general, well, because they hear about Islam or Judaism or Buddhism, whatever, because they hear about it and it's in popular culture, they feel like they know it. And then when you start asking them very basic things, they don't. So one of my motivations... And when I start this podcast, is to give that basic knowledge. Again, because when we know about other people, we can come together and we can get rid of these walls that separate us. And I think when we come together, we find out that there's a lot more that we share than what separates us. But because we have these walls, really, of ignorance, we don't know the things that connect us. So that's one of my main motivations for starting this podcast, but also the experience that we shared well, with. Prothro, which I'll let you talk about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, agree 110%. One of the things that um, our program does is they bring in a speaker at the end of every uh, every year, and they try to get somebody who's kind of, you know, a big name. And when we were, our last year of our program, they were able to get this guy, um, Dr. Robert Prothero. And he is a religious studies scholar, and we'll talk about his stuff, excuse me, more in depth later. Um, But he came and talked about religious literacy and this idea that while America is arguably the most religious country in the world, we are the most ignorant about religion. You know, when you ask the average person on the side of the road. You know, to name the Ten Commandments or the 12 Apostles or, you know, the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism, they can't do it. And that was something that I, that really resonated with me in my experience um, because I was a GTA. We were both GTAs, uh, graduate teaching assistants. And we uh, both experienced students who thought they knew a lot about their religion. And these are religions that they grew up in. And I think it's fair to say this doesn't just apply to our Christian students. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that um, students who you know were born and raised in traditions didn't know the building blocks or the very basic um, ideas or stories or key terms from the traditions from their own traditions. Um, and so I think that's something that I something that really. Um, bothered me. It was like, you know, how are you, you know, you know this, you know, you want to talk about how you're so Christian. And that's cool. If you want to be really Christian, that's cool. But um, you know, at least know your stuff.
1: Yeah. And I and I think that just like trying to make sure that people know their own stuff, but again, know something about other people is why we want to start this podcast. But also I think, you know, your options if you want to know about religion is you either you go to a member of a tradition and you ask them, oftentimes they'll either help you out or they send you to a religious leader in their community. You can go to um, the bookstore, buy the sacred book of that tradition. You can get the Complete Idiot's Guide, You know, the dummies version for it. And you get a very reductionist, superficial, watered-down version. I mean, they might tell you about traditions and things, but you, that's your option, or you enroll in a class. And so we really wanted to make something that was accessible so you feel like you're getting the knowledge you would get in a class, but you don't have to take the class, and it's a bit more in-depth than something, and honestly, I hope, more understandable than what you would get in a book. Because I I have The Complete Idiot's Guide to World Religions, which I'm actually looking at right now. And I remember reading it and fully understanding Christianity, because I grew up Christian, having a pretty firm understanding of Islam and Judaism, but getting to Hinduism and Buddhism, reading them each three times and still not having a clue. Um, so hopefully we can, you can avoid that by listening to this podcast and learn about other things. I mean, we have a, a an episode in the queue about Lakota traditions. We're going to talk about a lot of things that maybe you're not familiar with in addition to the the major five. So I think that's also something to look forward for forward to and something that we wanted to, start this podcast for because a lot of classes, books don't really cover the traditions of the world that aren't quote unquote popular.
0: Yeah. And hopefully we're both more entertaining than class too. Yeah, that too. So (laughs) we'll try.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what is religion? Like how do you define religion? Uh that's a really interesting question. I feel like I'm now in a religious studies class because I feel like <laughs> <laughs> it's the first lecture of every class. <laughs> Very much so. Um yeah, so I mean I would say that there are lots of different definitions of religion and it really just depends on what you're talking about, what you're trying to do. Uh actually during my undergrad are um like basically theories and methods of religious studies. The whole task of the class was learn about the history of religious thought and then come up with your own definition. And so I came up with a definition of religion that is, I think, okay for undergrad, but basically it is religion can be defined as human behavior associated with the internet intentional differentiation between the sacred and the profane. And this is really focusing on the work of two scholars, one being William James, James, and then... Uh, Durkheim and James basically is this guy who did a lecture in Oxford and that's where his book the varieties of religious experience kind of comes from it's a collection of the the lectures Um, but where he comes in which is important is because he specifically quote-unquote describes human behavior and he writes of it as the feelings acts and experiences of individual men and their solitude of course this is you know before feminism, so he says men when he means humans. Um, so that's kind of where the idea of, where I'm drawing on human behavior. And then we have Durkheim, which is, fa- who he is famous for, the sacred and the profane. Um, but what about Eliade? And I, <laughs> Fair. <laughs> that, that's fair, but I think Durkheim did it yeah. first, and Eliade <laughs> may have uh, expanded on it a little bit, if I'm correct can't say that I'm like up on my elevator right now. It's okay. I'm not uh, <laughs> <laughs> but real, I think the key, <laughs> the key part about my definition and what I think is important that I find when I think about religion is Durkheim, who was a French sociologist. And in the same way that people think of Freud as the father of psychology, you can think of Durkheim as the father of sociology, but he defined religion as a, a unified system of beliefs and practices relative to sacred things, Uh, that is to say, things set apart and forbidden, beliefs and practices which unite into one single moral community called the church, all those those who adhere to them. And then religion is the self-validation of society by means of myth and ritual. And this is from his most famous book, The Elementary Forms of Religious Life, which I feel like every person in humanities probably reads at some point. But the, the things that are important to give you kind of the Reader's Digest version is the idea of the sacred and the profane. Sacred things are things that are respected. Profane things are ordinary. And there is no moral ass- assignment to these. So it's not like sacred pr- things are only good and profane things are bad. It can be vice versa. Sacred things can be good or bad. Profane can be good or bad. The idea is that there are two distinct things and one cannot be the same. So a sacred thing can never be profane profane thing can never be sacred. And I think I'm sure that there is an example that will prove me wrong because the the running joke in anthropology is no matter how many times you find that there's this one thing in every society, there's always going to be one society that's like, no, that's not true. So um, someone can prove me wrong. But for the most part, I think when we think about religion, traditions, and practices, regardless if there's a God figure or not, there seems to be some element of things that are sacred. So things that are really important and things that are profane or ordinary. So religion can be complicated, we can discuss the nuances, but for me that's what I think about when religion, this set rules that big clear distinction between what is sacred and what's profane. What about you? How do you define religion? Well I'm less fancy. I don't have
0: my own definition <laughs> <laughs> I like borrow from someone. Okay. <laughs> Um, for me, um, I'm gonna have to go back to my anthropological roots. Um, of course. I am of course, yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of Clifford Geertz. He's an anthropologist who passed away in 2008. So he's a little more contemporary. Mm. Um, and he is kind of hailed as the father of symbolic anthropology. Which is this whole thing that I'm not going to go into. You can Google it, Wikipedia. Cool. Um, But I really like his definition of religion because it seems really big and complicated at first. But when you break it down into its individual parts, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, So his definition is that religion is a system of symbols which acts to establish powerful, pervasive, and long-lasting moods and motivations in men, again, this is pre-feminism, by formulating conceptions of a general order of existence and clothing these conceptions with such an aura of factuality that the moods and motivations seem uniquely realistic. So yes. So now everyone's like, what does that mean? What the hell? Because that's the most extra definition of religion ever. Okay. So the first thing that he's talking about, Uh, in terms of religion, is that it is at its base a system of symbols. And so what this means is it's anything that carries or conveys to people an idea. So this can be anything from a Christian cross, to a Buddhist prayer wheel, to a Lakota medicine wheel, all things that we will talk about at some point. Um, All of those things to people from certain traditions, those mean things to them. And Mm. people outside of those traditions may be like, you know, I don't know what that is, or, you know, that doesn't really mean anything to me. Um, And these symbols establish powerful, pervasive, long-lasting moods in people. And so what that means is that people feel things because of these symbols, and then they want to go and do things. Um, because of those feelings. Okay. Um, so for instance, a really good example that um, is not Christian because one thing we're gonna try and do in this podcast, um, like we said earlier is to not stick to the big five. We're gonna try and branch out and give all of all four of our listeners because we picked up one since the last part. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to try and give everybody kind of an idea, a really broad idea of religion, because I think for me not to get off track, but religion is so cool because it's so diverse. Um, there's so many different ways to believe in stuff. And there are so many different, um, there's just so many nuances of re- in religion. And even within traditions, which we'll get to later, um, that's just so interesting to me. So anyway, back to my really good example. So um, one example that is related to my work or my research is about Lakota understandings of, of kinship. And if you're cool and you came here because of the promo, um, one of the questions we ask is, what does it mean when Lakota people say all of my relations? And we'll get into this more in a later later episode, but it has to do with this idea that Lakota people are related to, are interrelated to everything in the universe, and it's a lot more nuanced than that. That seems very like, you know, oh Mother Earth, super like super sacred over here. But um, that idea, this idea of relatedness to everything was a motivation for a lot of Lakota people who protested the construction of the Dakota access pipeline. Um, and so that is something where that idea, this, all of my relations creates this feeling in people that then motivates them to go do stuff. Mm. And so to take that example a little bit further in the next part of his definition, these, um, the system of symbols also formulates conceptions of a general order of existence, meaning it explains how the world is. Um, And so, this idea of relatedness also is explaining where Lakota people situate themselves in the order of the world. So how are they related to plants? How do they relate to animals? How do they relate to the air, the earth, water, other people who are not Lakota and otherwise. Um, And then lastly, or no, actually, just kidding. There's two more parts. Um,
1: Like I said, his definition is
0: really long. Um, He also says that this order of existence and these systems of symbols, it clothes these conceptions with such an aura of factuality that the moods and motivations seem uniquely realistic. So that is both of the like last two parts, and what that means is that basically, kind of like what what you were saying, is that you know religion sort of marks out this special place in human existence.
1: Mm. You know,
0: so it, it demarcates this sort of quote unquote sacred and profane, which we're gonna make messy later because. You want to talk about basketball. <laughs>
1: yeah. so,
0: um, so it demarcates these things. And it also puts, because of this demarcation and because of this the way that the system of symbols is constructed, it allows people to experience the really real, air quotes, the really real. It's a very Geertzian idea of, in human existence, there are things that, in cultures, that are of the highest importance, and they are the realist things um, that you interact with. So that's Geertz. Basically, it's a system of symbols. It makes people feel things, and then it makes them go do stuff, and that helps them explain the world around them.
1: I can get down with that.
0: That's kind of how I feel about it. Now, I do have like a sort of honorable mention, because Geertz is my favorite, Um, even though his his writing is really dry. Um, (laughs) I do want to mention one religious studies scholar, um, Robert Orsi. He
1: teaches at Northwestern. Look at you with all these contemporary people. Now I feel like I should have done something contemporary. Like, I feel like the dusty person I got, now. I got, out the,
0: I got out the pledge and we dusted this stuff off. <laughs> okay. Okay. And the one thing that I really like about Orsi um, is one, I mean, I don't know if he would describe himself this way, but in my experience and in comparing what he does and what he writes about to your average run of the mill religious studies scholar I'm gonna throw some shade um, he does stuff that is very people oriented so it's very anthropological and leaning you know he goes and does ethnographic work with people ethnography is just when like you go out and talk to people and he um he works primarily on American Catholic history um, and he's worked mostly in New York but he's he's worked kind of all over the place But anyway, the reason that I like him the most or the reason that I like him out of all of the religious studies scholars that there are, is because he talks about this idea of lived religion. And so, instead of...
1: So, could that be a way of saying applied religion? Like, um, I I mean, it's different. Kind of. What he's doing is very much applied, which is also probably what you
0: like. Yeah, I I guess I would agree with that. Yeah, Um, because he does. It's very much lived religion is very much this idea that um, that religion doesn't just take place in your houses of worship, whatever those may be. Um, that religion takes place everywhere. That religion takes place in our living rooms and in our kitchens and in the car when you're driving somewhere. And it and it goes beyond just this idea that like, you know, there are religions in the world that don't have churches or don't have you know some sort of architecture, some sort of building where you go and you worship and you go and do it there and then you leave. Because reality is that you don't just go to church on Sunday and then leave unless you're a creaster and you only go on Christmas and Easter, but that's a whole nother story. (laughs) 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 So, um, so yeah, it's this, it's this idea that, you know, religion pervades all of our existence, even if you're not, even if you don't view yourself as religious. Um, I mean, look at politics in the United States. Um, You can't, look at american politics without having some sort of or you can't understand american politics very well without having some very basic understanding of christianity in the united states um That's fair. and so he has this definition for lived religion where he talks about it and he says you know that lived religion includes the world of social agents and actors themselves as narrators and interpreters and reinterpreters of their own experiences and histories, recognizing that the stories we tell, as in academics and scholars, about others exist alongside the many and varied stories they tell about themselves. And this is really important for me, um, for a variety of reasons. One, because, you know, I've worked in the Native community since 2014, which I understand isn't like the Crazy long isn't like a super amount long amount of time. But um, in the amount of time that I've worked in the Native community, one of the things that's really been driven home is that, you know, non-Native scholars have written about Native peoples since Europeans came over to the Americas. And a lot of times what they wrote down was inaccurate or was, you know, only a half truth. And so um, I really appreciate the way that he is including the stories that people tell about themselves. Because as much as we're going to try with this podcast to give you a general idea of the different traditions and the different concepts that we're talking about, at the end of the day, what really matters is the people who practice these traditions. And We'll try and be yeah. as accurate and as respectful and comprehensive as we can, but at the end of the day, we don't know everything, um, and so there's always more that we're learning, um, and so you should take that, you know, with a grain of salt.
1: Yeah, and I would add that you know this podcast—we're not here to say that we're experts in any of this, but more so, it is to you know, make something that may seem a little difficult to get access to, to give you the initial access. And then you can hopefully go and connect with people, find out about what they're doing, you know, do some reading on your own. It's really to give you that access point and not to just be the place where you stop, you know? So hopefully you can have a little background information and go and engage, build relationships with people and really see for yourself, about the various traditions that we celebrate among and across the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay, so Matt. I would say,
1: ahead. well, just, just to summarize, I would say... Um, the important thing, because again, that was like very academic and <laughs> hopefully it will be the last time there was a super epidemic. Um, but basically just know that there are a lot of definitions of religion and anyone can create a definition that suits their goals. If you want to include golf as religious, you can create a religion or create a definition or probably find a definition. Uh, if you want to say that the spaghetti monster is a religious tradition, like there's a way to manip- manipulate a definition to make that happen. So, for hundred or for years, I wouldn't say hundreds of years, because the idea of religion as a discipline is actually fairly new. But um, for some time, people have been grappling with what is and isn't defined as religion, and so definitions are constantly being created. And this is actually a big point of contention in the discipline itself. Um, so just know that there are lots and lots of definitions. We've pointed out some of our favorites, but by no means this exhaustive or even The tip of the iceberg and the world of definitions but we just wanted to kind of give a basis and something to think about as we talk about our religions moving forward
0: okay so now that we've kind of totally muddied the waters for what you think religion is what does it mean to be religiously literate then
1: I feel like that's also kind of complicated, but luckily we can point to two entities that are actually kind of working on this. Um, the first being our good friend. Well, we actually did we meet? Him? I think we met him. We talked to him. Um, I had lunch with him. Yeah, I, I sat next him. to him. So I feel like I talked to him. <laughs> him. It was good enough, whatever. Um, so as we, mentioned-
0: <laughs> if you're listening to
1: this by any odd chance. Uh, yeah, and I doubt that he will even <laughs> remember who we are. But um, probably. So as we <laughs> mentioned, uh, Robert Prothro came to our department when during our last year of our master's program, and he did. Uh, a, during his visit, he kind of lectured and talked about his book. Um, and he, just so you know, he is a living person. He's a professor of religion at Boston University. He teaches religion. Yeah, he didn't come. He didn't come. No, K, no. he was a ghost.
0: In K, so uh, no. he
1: just, <laughs> Which Ryan does study paranormal activity, so that's not even out of the ordinary. Um, but he teaches religion in America, and his book is called Religious Literacy. Um, and as kind of Ryan mentioned earlier, he mentioned how Americans are very religious, but they don't know much about religion. Okay, so in his book, Religious Literacy, Prothero defines religious literacy. Uh, how many times can you say that fast? As the ability to understand and use basic building blocks of religious traditions, which I would argue fits into what we've been kind of been saying all along in this idea that you're getting small pieces to help you understand the larger picture Mm -hmm. and make those connections so that you can understand the larger picture. Um, And so he has, well, I'm going to ask you. So you were saying he includes things like key terms, symbols, doctrines. Are those the things that he includes in religious literacy? Or is that, because I would see that as parts of the quiz.
0: Both. Um, he, so he includes, he's very broad in what he includes under the umbrella of like things you should know to be religiously uh-huh. literate. And so he's not just saying, he's, he's saying that you shouldn't just know like that Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross to save for, to in forgiveness of their sins. And like, you, you should go beyond that, that you should yeah. include things like knowing who the 12 apostles are okay. or knowing what the four gospels are or even right. just like stories. So like the good Samaritan, like he, in his book, he mentions, um, how many times the good Samaritan story has been brought up on the, has been brought up, brought, I just made up a word, had been <laughs> has been brought, I'm just trying to say it again. Don't edit that out. <laughs> has been brought up on the floor of the United States uh, Congress. Mm. And it's, it's some obscene number. and I don't remember. I'd have to look back. Um, but things like that, where, like I was saying before, you know, to understand the American political landscape, you really have to, you would totally miss the greater context of that story and why it is totally bizarre that someone would use the Good Samaritan story on the floor of the Senate or the House of Representatives.
1: I, I will say, uh, before we talk about his, his quiz, which I think is uh, really interesting, I do kind of have an issue with Prothro, and this is something that came up actually when he spoke, Um, at our university, which is this idea that he suggests that you should go beyond the basics, teach students, give them some in-depth knowledge of a tradition, but he doesn't really specify where you should stop and start. And so his idea was, you know, that we necessarily shouldn't have survey classes, but yet a lot of institutions have intro to Western traditions or intro to Eastern traditions, which are awful names, but, you know, they exist in places. Um, or, you know, you'll spend a semester taking a class on Buddhism, but out of Buddhism, only students really only walk away with a little bit of history and the Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Path. And so it's like, he gives you these ideas of, yes, we need to get in depth, but he doesn't really give a distinction and this is too much or this is too little. So it's really at mm-hmm. which, fair, it's at the discretion of the instructor. But I think, I feel like to be literate in something means that you have a certain amount of knowledge and ability to do something. And there's, he hasn't really defined that or given us a model for that. So even if someone firmly believes in this and wants to achieve literacy, are they giving their students enough? Are they giving them too much? Like you know, and I, I guess there's never you can never be too literate. But at what point does one cross the barrier of being literate? And I just feel like that is something that he doesn't work out well, at least in my understanding and, and working with him and even in talking to him about that. Um, it's because I remember there was something where he said like one of my professors asked him kind of this question, and he was like, "Well, there's just certain things I cut out." And we don't have time for it, so we move on, and and you just make that decision for more important things. But like, when you're talking about Buddhism or Hinduism, like, what is more important than like X is more important than Y? How do you make that distinction, particularly if you're not if you're not a part of that tradition? So I think that can be kind of tricky. Like, the theory is great, but I think in practice it can be very difficult in terms of really creating full literacy in religious traditions
0: yeah i think he i agree um i think he sort of addresses that in the book um because he talks about where this idea for religious literacy sort of comes from or the history of it um and i think it was in the 19th century that there this idea of cultural literacy became a thing and so in the united states as someone who grew up in the United States, there were certain historical things or historical figures, events, whatever, that you would know about. Mm. And a lot of it was very white and very not inclusive. It was very male, very white. I mean, it was the 19th century um, and that's what people did. And so I think to some extent, him being sort of wishy-washy on where the boundaries are is an attempt to not be saying like these are the important things in each tradition. And so that kind of it it gets confusing because like you said, you know, he he told us that, you know, you just have to make decisions, which you do. But yeah, how do you make those decisions? And I think I think to go take that one step further, you, you know, you go talk to the people who practice these traditions and they'll tell
1: you, you know, what's important and what's not. I also think it's interesting, you know, talking about his his religious uh, literacy quiz, which we definitely encourage everyone to uh, either go on his website or you can actually just Google Prothero. That's P-R-O-T-H-E-R-O. I don't think you need his name. You just put put in... We'll a religious literacy notes. quiz. We'll put it in the show notes. It'll you know, and we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but it's. I, I will say this is like incredibly. I mean, it's about. That's one thing where religious literacy really becomes, um, centered in America because so much of this quiz is Christian based. Um, but it's it's very interesting because a lot of people feel like they know religion and the basics of religion. Like Islam is on there. Buddhism is on there. uh, Judaism. And then after that, it's like very Christian focused. Um, And overwhelmingly people fail. Even Christians Mm -hmm. fail, which I mean, I failed because I definitely don't know all of the sacraments in in Catholicism. And it's either you get them all right or you get it wrong. Right. Um, But it's, it's very interesting that for someone who's like you know, th- we haven't established a barrier for ob- for obvious and clear reasons, but yet of this religious literacy quiz, there are like it's very clear what he thinks is important that people should know. Yeah, so.
0: I mean, he the reason that he includes Christianity or like overwhelmingly. Focuses On Christianity is because in his book he's talking specifically about America and he he makes the argument that I disagree with personally that it's more important for Americans to understand Christianity than it is to understand other things because of our government and its overwhelming influence on American culture which again I would disagree with but that's part of his his shtick.
1: I can, I can see that I can't say that I totally agree with the idea that it's more important for people to understand Christianity. I think that a firm understanding in the basics of Christianity and the ways that it has impacted our government, our culture and culture being like, you know, what it means to be American, like the Protestant ethic. Uh, when we look at books, movies, all of that has a highly Christian influence in it. So I think that it, that is important. I wouldn't say it's more important than, um, you know, knowing about Islam or native traditions. Mm-hmm. But it, I would say that, like, if you're going to be quote-unquote cultured, then that's an aspect of it. But I would, sure. you know, put it above other things. Right. So so
0: Dr. Prothero is not the only person who's talking about religious literacy right now. Um, the Harvard Divinity School also has what they call the Harvard Religious Literacy Project. Um which is trying to, basically their mission is to advance the public understanding of religion with special attention to power, peace, and conflict through resources and training for educators and other professionals. They explore, they explore the complex roles religions play in society. And so they do a whole bunch of different stuff. They have free online courses. They have trainings for K through 12 teachers. They have certificate programs, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, And so they also define religious literacy. Um, And I think that I personally like their definition better. Um, Even though I do think Prothero's definition is very bare bones and simple in a good way, um, I think theirs goes a little bit further. And so the way that they talk about religious literacy is they say that it entails the ability to discern and analyze the fundamental intersections of religion and social, political, cultural life through multiple lenses. Specifically, um, a religiously literate person will possess a basic understanding of the history, central texts where it's applicable, beliefs, practices, and contemporary manifestations of several of the world's religious traditions as they arose out of and continue to be shaped by particular social, historical, and cultural contexts. So they're very much saying like, this needs to be more holistic and you need to see how religion relates to the world today more than just knowing that the four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um,
1: and I would also say um, that while Prophrio definitely inspired us to start this project, the what we're trying to accomplish is definitely informed by Harvard Divinity School of Literacy or Religious Literacy yes, Project.
0: Absolutely. Um, and they also say that a religiously literate person is able to talk about these things across time and space. So. You don't just know about Christianity in the United States in 2019 because that doesn't really give you a full picture of yeah. how Christianity has changed in the United States. Um, and that goes for any other religion. I mean, if you look at like Lakota stuff that I focus on, you can't look at Lakota religious traditions without looking at the impact of the reservation system in the 19th century on those traditions, because lots of things changed because of that. Um, And they take it a step further to bring, um, they talk about basically that religious literacy has these four principles that you have to remember when you, when you are trying to become religiously literate. Um, and so one of these, and I think this is really important, and I think we have both talked about this before, how we both think this needs to be the first lecture, not what is religion, but in every religious studies class, we should be talking about why theology is different from the study of religion. Yes. So one thing, huge difference. Yeah, there's a huge difference. One thing we want to make explicitly clear with this is we are not trying to tell anybody what to believe, how to believe what they believe. If you are a Christian and you think we're full of it, then good for you. Thumbs up. That's awesome. You keep doing you. Um, And feel free to email us, tweet at us, hit us on Facebook, leave us a one-star review because all press is good press.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I think a good way of thinking about that is speaking english versus studying english yeah absolutely the nuances of what you're studying from literature history is so different than what you're speaking on a day-to-day basis right and so there's just cannot emphasize enough the difference between theology what people believe and studying what they practice right
0: um the next principle is that religions are internally diverse diverse which I think it's like so, so, so important for Mm -hmm. everything we're talking about. Because we've we've kind of alluded to this idea that, you know, just because you go down to, you know, the Catholic church down the road from your house, every Catholic that shows up for Mass isn't necessarily going to believe the exact same thing. And that is one of, at least, one of the things that I want us I want people to get out of this podcast is this sort of openness to diversity
1: that yeah I, or sorry I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're okay
0: um that you that you can have a coworker that doesn't eat during daylight hours for a month of the year and you're not weird about it and you're not rude about it. And you're totally laid back and like, yeah, that's what they do. And if you keep listening, you'll find out about Ramadan. Um, but those that's the kind of things that I want to foster out of this podcast.
1: And I also think that it's important to know that like internally being like the religion itself. So we'll definitely have a conversation about Christianity. But then we'll specifically talk about Christianity around the world. Christianity practiced in India is different than Christianity practiced in Rome. Which is different than Christianity practiced in South Africa versus Brazil versus the United States. All of these people are Christians. They can all be Catholics or Baptists. Name your tradition. They can all call themselves that, but the way in which they practice can be totally different. The same is true for any religion. Uh, Buddhism is is perfect example of this because it's almost different based on country and the practices. So, just know that like to be labeled something mean something but you have to have the context of where that person is located how they identify themselves because that really changes the conversation and what it, that title means you know just to to be a christian doesn't necessarily only mean that you go to sunday church on sunday and you do xyz there's so much more to that depending on who you are and where you're from
0: right um and then the last two are that religions evolve and change which should be obvious, um, I would think, but maybe not. Yes. And then that religious influences are embedded in cultures. And I think we've probably done a good job of alluding to that up to this point, at least, Um, in terms of talking about, you know, in the United States, Christianity is everywhere. You can't get away from it. Um, And if you go to the Middle East, Islam is everywhere. Certain parts of the Middle East, Judaism is everywhere. Um, and you can't get away from it, even if you're not sitting in a mosque or a synagogue. Um, So I think that the Harvard Divinity School Religious Literacy Project, like you were saying, is really going to be really informative for us um, going forward with this podcast, um, because we kind of want to serve as a sort of resource
1: for people. Yeah, and I would definitely encourage people to go and take a look at their website. Um, As mentioned before, they have the Harvard X courses, which are totally free. You can do at your own pace. Um, But just additional, if you have questions, obviously listen to the podcast. But that's just an additional resource that is really helpful, uh, has informed our work, and just something that we want to promote because we're very proud that it exists, but just want to get as many people to become religiously literate as possible.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We really appreciate you tuning in to our first episode of Religiously Literate.
1: We hope that you enjoyed the show and that you subscribe and come back for more. You can find us on Twitter at ReligiousLitPod and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Religiously Literate. A minor correction. Throughout the podcast, we say Robert Prothrow when actually we mean Stephen Prothrow.